I want you to do something. Now, this is going to be kind of odd. I've never done this before, but I want you to look at your neighbor's socks. If they're wearing socks, look at your socks. And here's why. Because if we have a, a, a coolest socks, uh, I think I'm going to win tonight. And the amazing thing is I dress myself. My wife's on a ministry trip with her dad, <laughs> and I think they match. So praise the Lord. Hey, it is super, super great to, to see you today. I, I do want to emphasize what Pastor Travis uh, mentioned about Wednesday night. You know, coming to church on a Saturday or Sunday is, is a vital part of our spiritual life. But you need more than just a big crowd of people. In your life, you need a small group of people. And that's what we do in the fall. We have life groups. And we're having that promotion this Wednesday night. And uh, uh, it'll be here. Of course, kids' ministry and youth will be happening. But you'll be able to meet probably 40 different people that are doing groups. And, and you can kind of pick what, uh, what, uh, what fits you. Before I open the Bible, I want to share something that I believe um, the Holy Spirit spoke to me today. You might call it a word of knowledge. But I was in my garden today praying, and uh, again, I was in the prayer room praying, and I began thinking about David's brother Eliab. You remember when Saul was choosing the, Saul's, I mean, when Samuel was choosing Saul's replacement, and he went to Jesse's sons, and the first guy he saw was this guy Eliab, and he was like a defensive lineman for the professional football team. He was big, and he was, you know, I mean, he was just a man's man. And Samuel thought in his mind that this must be the guy that's going to be king. But the Lord spoke to him and said, I don't look at outward appearance the way you do. I look at the heart. And I believe what the Holy Spirit said to me is some of us are making fairly significant decisions and we're just looking at the outward things. We're looking at, is it reasonable? Is it rational? Is it economic? Does it make sense? Uh, uh, is she attractive? Do I like him? And I believe the Holy Spirit would say, you need to seek me because I see things sometimes differently than you do and you'll end up in a better place if you follow my will than what you see with your natural eye. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. Hope that might benefit you if that's you in a decision time. But Hebrews eleven twenty nine. if you've got your Bibles, turn there. This will be the next to the last. Next week, we'll finish this series. Uh, this is number nine in the series. And I want to read a, a, a number of verses. We've got more verses than I've got time left to, to do it. So I'm going to condense this a bit tonight. But Hebrews eleven twenty nine, and I want you to notice how many times it says, by faith. Let's begin. It was by faith that the people of Israel went right through the Red Sea, that's with Moses, as though they were on dry ground. But when the Egyptians tried to follow, they were all drowned. Verse 30, it was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days. This is under Joshua, of course, and the walls came crashing down when they shouted. Verse 31, it was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God. Now we're coming back to her tonight. We're going to talk about three of these people. For she had given a friendly welcome to the spies and then he just kind of gets broad and elaborate. How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon. We'll talk about him. Barak, Samson, Jephthah, we'll talk about him. Who's ever heard of Jephthah? 
Uh-huh. Well, you're going to learn something new tonight. David, Samuel, and all the prophets. Verse 33, by faith they overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions. Think about Daniel. They quenched the fires of flame. Think about Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. They escaped death by the edge of the sword. Think about David. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. So all this has the secret to every great thing we just read about in these seven or eight verses was they all had faith in God. And their faith was not just a, a wish, God, I want you to, you know, do this for me. God, I want a new turkey gun or whatever. But their faith was, it was in concert with God's will. And it was their faith in God's will and then their willingness to act on what God said that produced amazing results. And the same thing is true for us today. Uh, they obeyed God's word and impossible things became possible. How many know you can't take one to two million people across the Red Sea when the water is deep and the Egyptians are coming? But how many know roses, uh, roses, Moses just pointed his, his rod at the Red Sea and supernaturally it opened. And to confirm Joshua's leadership, the same exact same thing happened. Joshua crossed the Jordan River after Moses died and, he, and the priests put their feet in the water and these waters opened up. So God is a God of miraculous. You and I have been raised for the last 50, 60 years in a society that has increasingly excluded God and the supernatural and has basically drawn a, a, a circle around everything that is, everything that can be understood by science, everything that could be understood by archaeology or history or anything else, and have said, told us, that's all there is. But I'm telling you, God is outside of the circle. He's outside of the circle. He's in the circle. He's the one that draws the circle. He's bigger than the circle. And this is, so faith is the way we connect with God. Uh, faith is our belief. It's our trust in God. But this is so important, and we've learned this in the series. Faith is not just a mental ascent. Faith includes an action. James says, faith without works is what? Dead. It's meaningless. It's, it's useful. It, it, it doesn't mean anything to you. Well, last week we talked about Moses, and today we're going to talk about these th life applications is what I call it. We'll look at the historical figure, and then we'll, 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 we'll understand what happened to them and ask the question, how does this apply to me? How can I put this into practice in my own life? And I'm calling these life applications. But we'll look at Rahab, Gideon, and Jephthah. So here we go in part nine. Let's begin with Rahab. Rahab experienced God's saving grace. Now listen, because she walked away from her old way of living and chose to obey God. She walked away from her old way of living and chose to obey God. Now, here's where we are in Israel's history because the book of Hebrews, is, Hebrews 11 is kind of a history of, uh, of the nation of Israel and some of the high points and how God moved. But verse 30, uh, uh, Moses has died. Joshua is leading them. Supernaturally, they cross the Jordan River. But as soon as they get across it, there's the city of Jericho. It's a walled city. Some, some have, archaeologists have said that the walls were wide enough where a couple chariots could ride side by side. I mean, this is what you would look like an impenetrable fortress. 
And these Israelites, they don't have battering rams. They don't have shoulder-mounted missiles. They've got this big wall standing between them. It's like the whole history of Israel is one spiritual test to the next one. Well, that's where we are today. We're with Joshua. We're on the other side. Jericho is in front of them. And Jericho is standing between Israel and inheriting the promised land. That's where they're going to, okay? So this is where uh, this historical account picks up. Chapter 11, verse 31, as we read earlier, It was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God. Now, the the key in all of that, some of us might look at the prostitute, and we'll talk about that, but the issue was who's obeying God and who refuses to obey God. So it was her faith that caused her obedience that ultimately saved her when they wiped the city out. Let's go back and read a little bit from Joshua. Let me give you a little more background here. Joshua chapter 2. Joshua secretly sent out two spies, and he says, scout out the land around Jericho. So the two men, now think about this. These two guys are going to go. They probably don't look exactly like the people in the city. Their language or dialect is probably different from the people in the city. So they, they're probably going to stick out somewhat like a sore thumb, other than the fact that they're dirty and they've been walking in the desert. But Joshua sends out these two spies and says, scout out the land around Jericho. Uh, so the two men came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab. I apologize if you have kids and you're going to have to explain that. But here we are. And there they stayed the night. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, bring out the men. In other words, somehow the king had found out that those two guys had ended up in her place and she was hiding them. And the king said, bring them out. Now this is very interesting, verse 4. And here's where her faith gets into action. Because if we had time to read the whole story, you'd see that she told these spies, look, we've heard about how your God led you through the Red Sea and how your God opened the the Jordan River. We've heard all these great things about your God. And she's been worshiping the pagan God of Baal. And she's been worshiping at an Asherah pole. And I mean, all the different uh, uh, trappings of idolatry. And she realizes that this could well be the one true God. So she hid these two men. And she replied to the king. Now think about this. Those men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. They left town at dusk. I don't know where they went. So here you got a prostitute lying because of her faith in God. Now, again, I'm not suggesting the Bible advocates lying. That's one of the things we shouldn't do. Doesn't it say liars are going to end up in the, <laughs> in the book of Revelation there in the place that's a little hot and doesn't have air conditioning? So we're not, we're not advocating lying, but it's one of those situations just like the Hebrew midwives. You remember, they told a little fib when they said the Hebrew children, women give birth quickly before we can get there. So here we got this woman that that's, uh, 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 is a prostitute, and she tells this fib, but that was the turning point where her life changed for the better. How I many you know it's easy for us to look at somebody the way they're living their life and kind of go, shame on you? Well, how many know we all have a starting place? And how many know God takes us wherever we are in that starting place? And if we'll let him, he'll take us to the place he wants us to be. Well, this was her starting place. And I dug a little deeper into this. Why, why a prostitute? Why would they go there? 
Well, first of all, uh, it was a good chance they'd be unnoticed in a house of prostitution. In other words, they, you know, they could just go in there and they could, they could stay. Uh, men were coming in and out. Also, her home was built into the wall of the city. And if these scouts were smart, they probably thought about an escape plan, how we're going to get away. So if need be, they could jump out the window and they could uh, run away. The Jewish historian Josephus added this to her. Josephus said that she was an innkeeper. So it's possible both were true. It's possible this was not just a house of prostitution, but she was an innkeeper and somebody's making money on the side. But the bottom line is she's a sinful woman, and this is where I want you to really focus in, in whom God's grace spared from judgment that was going to fall on the city. And that's, listen, this is so much parallel to us today. Let me say something else about Rahab. This is amazing. Rahab ended up in the genealogy of Jesus. Now, if I was God, I'd have picked the best people on the planet, and they would have all been perfect people, you know, kind of like Enoch, and, and, and they'd have been the ones in the genealogy, but not the case. Matthew 1.5, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. But did you know in the genealogy of Jesus, there were actually four women and a bunch of men, I might add, but there were four women with sinful pasts who ended up in the genealogy of Jesus. Remember Tamar? She was a prostitute. Rahab the prostitute. Ruth was a Moabitess. And Moabites, uh, Moabites were forbidden from entering the temple. And then you got Bathsheba, the adulteress, the wife of David, all of which ended up in the, in the, uh, um, the genealogy of Jesus. But here's the message of this. Those particular women in particular show us the power of God's grace to forgive our sins and put us on a life with new meaning. Let me say that again. God's selection of those people is not an approval of a sinful lifestyle. How many know God is a holy and a righteous God? The reason we're separated from him today is because of our sin. The reason Christ died on the cross was to pay the penalty of our sin so our sin could be atoned for and covered and God could impute his righteousness to us. So, 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 so this is probably the biggest point in this little section here is God's grace to forgive our sin and give us a life of new meaning. And I want to tell you, if you're here today, that no matter where you are or if your life has been wayward or is wayward at this very moment or you were planning on doing something totally sinful after church tonight, listen, I want to tell you this. God's grace is enough to take you where you are to where your life can have a greater meaning. Come on, somebody give the Lord a good hand. So let me give you what I call my first life application. We're going to have seven or eight but it's God's grace is greater than our sin. And this is a tension in the Christian life. You know, even the Apostle Paul, who called for holiness of living, Paul says the things I don't want to do, sometimes I end up doing. And what I want to do, I don't end up doing. So there's this dilemma. We are saved, we're born again, we're spiritually minded people, the Spirit lives within us, but we still have a flesh. And that flesh likes to sin against God. How many like to sin, enjoy sin? Saturday night, every, all but three liars in the room. Sure, we enjoy sin. That's why, we, 
you're, you're a little extra holy. Usually Saturday night people are, are not quite as, as, you know, superficial holy as Sunday morning. But I'm going to give you a little grace on that. But, but Jesus loves sinners. No matter how bad we are, he died to save us. And a lot of times as Christians, we don't know how to reach people who are living a life of sin. I was saved at 19. I was very worldly before that. I was saved, and I've been saved 40-something years, so I've had a while to get, you know, pretty good. Uh, and I've lost touch with parts of the sinful world. And there's some sins out there that I don't have a clue how to connect with. How about the whole the transgenderism deal? How, how, do, how do you relate to that? How do you relate if a family, a family member is, is, invites you to their same-sex wedding? I mean, there's just some things that we have to be careful that we don't become hypocritical of or bigoted or self-righteous. I shared with you earlier, but several weeks ago, I heard that they were having, uh, it was during Gay Pride Month, but they were having a, uh, a parade um, uh, with drag queens going to lead it in Longview, Texas. And uh, I, was, I, I took off that Saturday night, and Linnell and I just went down there, and we didn't go down there to hold a sign. We didn't go down there to, with our Jesus shirts on or having a big Bible. I just wanted to meet these folks and let them know that Jesus people, come on, love you right where you are, and, and, and just understand who is out in the world. Because if we're not careful, we can isolate ourselves from the world. Jesus loves all people. Look, Luke 15, verse 1. And I didn't march with them now, okay, so don't get me wrong. When they went on their little march in the 100 degrees, I sat in the air-conditioned truck, and we just decided we'd follow them around the block. And that's what we did, and they came back, and we got out of the truck, and we went in and mixed and mingled a little bit. But Luke 15, 1, here's Jesus. All the tax collectors, these are, these are some of the greediest you know, people uh, uh, on the planet at the time. All the tax collectors and sinners drew, drew near to Jesus to hear him. So Jesus attracted these kind of people, and he didn't justify their sin. He called them to repent. He called them to turn away from sin and turn to God, but he loved people. And this is Rahab's message to us today. Luke 19.10 says, The Son of Man, Jesus, has come to seek and save that which was lost. So God help us, let us never be self-righteous Pharisees. Let us reach people and with the love of God and help get them on a path that will have greater meaning for their lives. Come on now, listen. Um, yeah, give the Lord a good, a good hand here. But, but I do want to say this about Rahab. When Rahab hid these spies, it was more than just self-protection. It was her turning to God exercising faith and obedience. You say, how do you know that, Pastor? Because that verse 31, Hebrews eleven thirty-one, the people in the city refused to obey God. So she obeyed God, and they refused to obey God. And this last little application here is genuine faith in God demands we turn our back on our sinful ways and follow Jesus. So don't ever cut out repentance and miss that from the Christian me message and confuse it with grace. Grace is not an excuse to sin. Now listen, because I'm going to deal with three different people and three different subjects, I want to pause right now and give you a chance to respond to this. I want you to just bow your head just a moment. If you're watching online, do the same. 
But I want you to just acknowledge to God right now, God, I've got some Rahab in me. Now, that doesn't mean you're a prostitute, but I've got some ways in my life that I know are not pleasing to you. I've been doing some things that in my heart I know that are wrong, but, Lord, my flesh enjoys it. And I want you to help me change. I want to pause right now and ask the Holy Spirit to come into this area of my life and help me change. I want to live a godly and a righteous life. I don't want to have one foot in the world and one foot in your kingdom. But I want to love Jesus with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. Now listen, if that's you and that's your prayer, would you just lift your hand to the Lord just a moment? Nobody looking around, nobody's business. That's right. You're just saying this to God because this, this is where change begins. Lord, bless all my friends who are honest enough to say, Lord, I need some help changing here. I know there's right and there's wrong in Jesus' name. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand here. Now, let's look. I think this is my favorite part of the message. It's about Gideon. Gideon said yes to God, and God accomplished great things through him. Here we go, back in Hebrews eleven thirty-two. It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon. Now, let me update you here. Now we've gone from Joshua. They've gone into the promised land. Uh, there's still some battles to be fought, but now they're ruled by judges. They used to be ruled by Moses. Then they were ruled by Joshua. Joshua, of course, with the priest. But now judges are throughout the land, and judges are kind of like the spiritual, the spiritual leaders. Uh, judges chapter 6, verse 11, Gideon was such a man. Well, the, where we find ourselves in this particular point in Israel's history, they had rebelled against God. If you read through the Old Testament Chronicles, if you read through Samuel, if you read through the book of Kings, you'll find Israel's a roller coaster. They get close to God and things are great. And when things are great, they start slowly backsliding. And then God lets some discipline come in their life. And the discipline causes them to repent and turn back to God. Well, when we pick up with Gideon, they're in a low spot and they're being oppressed by the Midianites. I mean, sometimes God sends difficulty in our life to discipline us. Well, the Midianites were the way of discipline. Judges 6, 11, Gideon was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. In other words, they're farmers. They got to feed themselves. They'd grow the wheat and the Midianites would come and take all their food. So here he is in a wine press. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said this. Now think about this. Look at, I've got a picture of a wine press here. Uh, yeah, there you go. See, he's got a hole in the bottom and it you know, kind of drains out. You put the grapes in it, you step on it, you know, you know the drill there. Well, he's hiding in there. We couldn't find the picture of Gideon. I think the day they took, were taking pictures back then, he had an android and the battery was dead. But, 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 but we have found, we have found you know, a, a wine press. So, 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 so he's hiding in this thing, if you can imagine, doing wheat heads like this and maybe stepping on them to try to separate the wheat from the chaff and God has the audacity to call him mighty hero the Lord is with you and he's hiding in a wine press see one day God was going to use Gideon to turn the nation 
back to God. All right, so he's the judge. Here's this life application, and this is a really big one. God sees our potential. All he needs is our willingness to do what he says. God sees our potential. We have a burden, which is often a calling. God sees our burden and our potential to do something, but we've got to say yes and partner, partner up with him, and then we become a mighty hero rather than a scared, uh, a scared uh, uh, wheat, wheat, wheat guy there. Let me illustrate this, show you a picture of this lady. I don't know if you rem- uh, see her there. Her name is Christian Bentley. She was in our church several weeks ago, and, and, and she introduced her. She says, I'm just a, a wife, a, I'm a mom and a housewife, and I got sick and tired of the government sexualizing our children, so I decided to do something about it. And she stepped into, now, now listen, she didn't run for, for political office. She just took the issue and started stirring up stuff, buying some of these pornographic books in the libraries and sending them to the representatives in Austin, Texas. And before you know it, she's a point person of this movement. And our Texas government passed four or five bills this session to stop sexualizing kids. So who was she before that happened? She was a Gideon hiding in a wine press. But something burdened her heart, and she interpreted it as the will of God, and she, she went after it. Look at verse 13. Now we're back to Gideon. So, so the Lord's telling him, now mind you now, they've got Midianites who are the, who, you know, they're like the world's superpower. Israel is, is, is weak, you know, they're just a small nation. So Gideon said, okay, and he's talking now to the Lord himself. This is, this is, this is a theophany or a Christophany. Uh, Gideon replied, well, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? I mean, it can say a pretty good question. Hey, this has been going on for decades. Where are the miracles our ancestors told us about? Now look at verse 14. The Lord turned to him and said, stop right there. He said, what? What? Go. Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel. I am sending you. Who is this I am that's sending you? The creator of the heavens and the earth. The sustainer of the earth and all the processes and the cycles that go on. He is the almighty, all-powerful God and says, I am with you. <laughs> and Gideon's kind of like me. <laughs> but Lord, uh, see, see, think how... how he focuses now on reason and what his eyes tell him and what his experience tells him and what the numbers tell him. But Lord Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe. I am the least in my entire family. And the Lord said to him, what? I will be with you. Don't you think the Lord was with Kristen, Kristen Bentley? Yeah, because there's a whole lots of of liberals and moderates in Austin, Texas. Well, I'm the least in my entire family, and the Lord just said to him, I will be with you. So he simply said yes. He was a little smart about it. So in the nighttime, he goes and he tears down the altar of Baal. This is Israel. They're worshiping Baal. They have an Asherah pole, which is an idol. And he builds the altar of the Lord back. And the next morning, everybody wakes up. And now they, the Israelites want to kill him because he's trying to return the nation to God. So if we jumped ahead a little bit, 
one day Gideon is going to lead an army, not of 30,000, not of 10,000, but of 300 people against Midianites who are as numerous as the sand of the seashore. And all they're going to do is blow their horn and break a trumpet with a light in it. And God's going to send confusion and destroy the Midianites. And Israel's coming out of the pit and they're coming back to God. This man brought the nation back to God. And it started when he says yes. So here's the fourth life application. Faith says yes to God. In spite of doubts, questions, and excuses, it is. Now listen, it's easy for me to sit here and tell you what yes to God means. But when you're trying to choose jobs or choose which house to buy, come on now, or choose whether to invest money, how many know it's not always easy to hear, hear God? And I don't imply that it is, but I'm telling you, he, the Spirit is in us, and He will speak to us. But, but, but faith says yes to God. I want to show you one of my spiritual fathers and spiritual heroes. You know Larry Myers. He's been coming to our church for 30 years now. But when he was 40 years old, he was a pastor in Denison, Texas. He was with the Assemblies of God. And I, I, I was greatly impacted by the assemblies of God. In the Navy, in ADEC, I was filled with the Spirit. I was baptized in the Bering Sea. Great impact from that great denomination. But Larry wanted to be a missionary at 40, and by then the missionaries had become a little more of a bureaucracy. And they told Larry, you're too old. You don't know the language. You don't have any money. So we're not going to send you. You can't go. And he said, well, then... I have a problem because God's told me to go. And without intending to be rebellious to spiritual authority, he just went down there. And I don't have time to go into all of his story if you don't know him. But he went down there with nothing, started from scratch in a bag of sandwiches or a bag of burritos during a hurricane uh, in Atayaca, uh, uh, Mexico. And today there are hospitals, orphanages, and multiplied hundreds of churches that have been built and are being built and a nation is being spiritually impacted because a man said yes. Gideon said yes. Larry said yes. And let me give you one more that's just happened that is so exciting to me. Uh, last week I showed you this picture, Co Coach Kennedy. Now, uh, you, you remember Coach Kennedy, he, he, he's from a uh, Oh, shoot. Bremerton, Washington. He was fired five years ago because at the end of a football game, he literally went out there and he went on the field and, and he just prayed. And before he knew it, people were surrounding him praying, football players, coaches, other people. Well, secular school says no, and they suspended him. And he said, okay, then I'll go do something else. No, he said I don't know what he said, but basically he stood up, said no. And before you know it, he's got Christian legal associations helping him. It goes all the way to the Supreme Court. And our recent Supreme Court, whether you love or hate President Trump, he appointed three conservative justices to the Supreme Court, and they turned over this lemon case 
which was the precedent since the 1970s, and that's where this whole separation of church and state came into America. That's why you don't see manger scenes on lawns any longer on the, on the courthouse. That's why they say you can't pray in school and all those things because a Supreme Court case in the 70s, well, God used this one coach that had the guts to stand up, and we're not, uh, we can't fathom what this has done to religious freedom. Now, what I'm going to show you on the wall here is something I want to highly encourage you to do. Um, this is from a Christian law firm, the Rutherford Institute in Dallas, but how you can restore faith where you live. If you're a football player, ask teammates and others to pray together. Ask the coaches to join you. Ask your school board to open the meeting in prayer. Your city can put up a nativity scene for Christmas. Your government entity, your city, can put up a Ten Commandments monument on government land. This is not some preacher saying this. This is a law firm saying this, what this this did for us. A teacher can put up the Ten Commandments poster in her classroom. Now, now you try to do that, you may get some pushback, but I'm telling you, there's Christian lawyers that are stand up. Come on, we'll put you in touch with them. We'll help you. Faith-based organizations like Teen Challenge can receive government funding without discrimination. And on and on and on and on and on. Church organizations, etc. Why is all this? This is because, and let me tell you where you can find more about this if you want to read this. RFIA.com. We'll try to get that on the screen for tomorrow. RFIA.com, Restoring Faith in America. And you can find this. Well, this, my friend, is what we need in America. We need modern-day Gideons that have the courage to stand up for what's right in our nation. I want you to bow your head a minute, and I want to give you a chance to respond to this. I, I, I wonder if in your heart right now there's just a willingness to say yes to God. Now, you may not know what it is, but you just want to offer yourself like a Gideon, like a Christian Bentley, like a Larry Myers, like a Coach Kennedy, who had no idea the impact that they were going to have locally, nationally, and, and regionally. But you may want to just say yes to God Just like Isaiah did, here I am, Lord, use me. And if that's you, would you just simply raise your hand to God right now? Here I am, Lord, use me. I want my life to make a difference in Jesus' name. Let's keep going. Let's look at number three now, a guy named Jephthah. Now, Jephthah was also during the period of the judges, but he shows us, and this is an important one because our culture has lied to us in so many ways. Jephthah shows us you don't have to be a victim because of your circumstances. What do I mean? Hebrews eleven thirty two. here we go again. How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the story of the faith of Jephthah. Now, we're going back to Judges chapter 11, um, and, and, and let's, let's read his story. Now, Jephthah was a great warrior. How do you think you become a great warrior? Well, you go to, uh, how do you think you become a professional athlete? Well, you go to professional athlete school, right? Partly, but partly you're genetically gifted. Come on now. Some people are so clumsy they can barely walk. Some people can kick a football 70 or 80 yards. 
The Manning family has had, whew, how many, three, four that all turned out to be superstar quarterbacks. I mean, there's something in the way that God created us. There's a giftedness. There's a capacity. There's an ability and a desire. And God had gave, given this man the ability to be a great warrior. Now, here's where the complication came in. He was the son of Gilead, and his dad made a boo-boo. His mother was a prostitute. I don't know why the prostitutes are coming up today, but God's for them. Um, not for what they're doing, but he's for them. His mom's a prostitute. Well, his wife, Gideon's other real wife, had several sons. And when these half-brothers grew up, they chased Jephthah off the land. Listen to this now. You're not going to get any of our father's inheritance. You're the son of a prostitute. So Jephthah ran away. But soon he had a band of worthless rebels following him. Now, let me just throw something in before we get to the heart of it. Life application six. People will follow a gifted leader. You can lead them in the wrong way or the right way. If you're a great warrior, they're going to follow you. And they'll, you'll either lead them for something good or for something bad. But God is the one that gives us his grace and people will, people will follow us. Now, verse 29 throws in something about this son of a prostitute. Verse 29 the Spirit of God comes upon him. And from there, he led an army against the Ammonites. So what we're going to find happen, if I can jump ahead in the story, his brothers kick him out and he leaves the area. But now, I forget which, there's so many of these people. I don't know if they're Ammonites, Moabites, Hittites, or uh, I can't remember which one. But they're some of the ites, okay? And, 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 and they're, coming, they're coming after him and they're wanting to destroy Israel. And Israel somehow has an aha moment and they said, look, the guy that needs to lead us is this Jephthah dude. We need to go back and get him and tell him we want him to be our leader. Well, he's not only going to be a war leader, but he's going to be a spiritual leader. So they go back and find him and guess what? The Holy Ghost comes on this man. The Holy Spirit comes on this gifted man. So now let's learn some lessons. Number one, Jephthah had a divine destiny to be a leader and judge in Israel. Now, I want you to listen to this because this is one of the most more important things I'll say. His identity could have been the son of a prostitute. I am a victim. And a victim mentality could have defined his life or he could have been defined as a great warrior in his mind with the capacity to lead Israel in God's timing. Listen, the way he thought about himself would determine what he did with his life. He could believe the lie, you're simply a son of the prostitute, not worthy of anything, or he could believe the truth of God. God has gifted me to be a warrior and a leader. And I want to tell you today, identity politics in America makes us hate each other because of the group we're in. I hate you if you're Hispanic. I hate you if you're black. I hate you if you're white. I hate you if you're whatever we are. And then there's this cultural thing that gets imposed upon us. Let me give you the life application before I talk a little more. The way we think about ourselves will control what we become. And I'm not talking about the power of positive thinking. If you agree with who God has created and made you to be, you'll turn out one way. 
If you believe what people say about you, what your circumstances say about you, what others say about you, you will remain, my friend, a victim of circumstance. And our government is really good at teaching you how to blame somebody that's responsible and in many cases that had nothing to do with the situation that you're in. Uh, God thinks about, we, we, we've got to let what God think about us be more important than our circumstances, how we feel or what people say. Now let me show you a little quick video clip. Remember the movie, Remember the Titans? One of my all favorite movies here. I, I want to show you a little clip about, uh, 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 well, you'll see it, self-explanatory. What is the Rev going to do after high school? I don't know. Go to college and all that, I guess. What about you? I'm a brainiac like Rev. Think you got a future in football? Oh, heck no. I just figure if I got to be in school, I might as well hit some people while I'm at it. All right, I like that. A self-aware man, I like that. But you don't want to college. It's not going to be because you're not qualified. So I want you to bring me your test scores at the end of every week. We'll go over them together. Okay. We'll keep that between you and me. Nobody from my family ever went to no college. I'll tell you, Louis. I'll tell I'm always trash. I ain't gonna get no C plus grades. I'm just down home, no good, never going to no college, white trash, man. Oh, they should have played the rest of that. It was good. We gotta play it tomorrow. Can you play the rest of that? It's so good, I'll wait. Well, well anyway. <laughs> we got a good sound man back there. This guy. This, this no good, good for nothing, white trash. Now, who told him that? Somebody did. Who told you? Because, I don't know, your mom or your dad or you crossed the border in Mexico. Because you're black. Because you didn't get the education that you deserved. Fill in the blank. And you can say, well, this guy, now he goes on, this says, in case you can't read, he went to four years of college at Austin P, and then he graduated, now he's a successful businessman. How do you become white trash to college and successful? Now, he had Denzel Washington. I mean, no, that's good. <laughs> but he also had somebody tutoring him. Well, guess what we got? We have Jesus Christ, who the Scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Let me say that again. You are a new creation. Listen, I have a certain skin color and a certain educational background and a certain all these things, but that does not determine my future. Come on now. My God determines my future. He did it for Jephthah, and he can do it for us. I want to respond to this one too. Bow your head just a minute. And maybe... This whole idea of a victim mentality, you've, you've let yourself get into that trap of blaming your circumstances, blaming other people, blaming the color of your skin, blaming your lack of whatever opportunity on somebody else, and it has shaped your thinking, and you're sick and tired of it, 
And you want God to help you to see yourself as someone that's new in Christ, like Jephthah, a great warrior, rather than a son of a prostitute. If that's you and you want God to free you from this, to help change the way you think about yourself, I want you to just lift your hand right now. Nobody else's business. Yeah. We're all over the building, Lord, just people reaching out our hands to heaven, saying, God, we're not a victim. We're victors because of Christ. And this may not be a turn on a dime turnaround, but the change starts today because you have ordained something good for us. And by faith, we're going to believe it. By faith, we're going to act on it. And by faith, we're going to become the people God created us to be in Jesus' name. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand. He's worthy of praise.